fasten your seat belt. I'm taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Go get him, kid. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. Not a tumor at all. If you're going to ask me, so you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me. And my natural response could be to get offended. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week. 30 years in the making. Sing it, Bo. No. No. <laughs> Nobody it, wants that. Sing it, Pat. I, I'm not going to sing over Whitney Houston, man. I'll sing it acapella, but that would be sacrilegious. To, you know what I'm saying? It's like Natalie Cole singing with her dad. It's it's the same thing. Just go ahead. I, I don't think anything about me and Whitney Houston singing together would be like Natalie Cole singing with her dad. <laughs> All right, fine. I have to agree with Pat on that one. <laughs> no, sir. No. Okay. Too soon? I mean, is that the problem? Or I think it's a respect thing. Oh, really. okay. All right. Okay. Yeah, I fine. think there's a, a level of respect that Miss Houston has uh, okay. acquired. Okay. All right. And uh, yeah. All right. Fine. Whatever. This is the last episode of the 30-something movie podcast. Hope you've all enjoyed <laughs> it. Good night. I'm forced to agree with Admiral Cartwright. Releasing his voice upon this recording... With a history of, it would just be bad. It would just be bad. Definitely, definitely bad. We're, if you could not tell from the Miss Houston playing at the beginning of the podcast, we're here to talk about The Bodyguard from 1992. The Kevin Costner, Whitney Houston, romantic, romantic epic, would we call it? It made a lot of money, so. How cool <laughs> in an alternate universe if Worf was the bodyguard? I'm just saying. I'm going to totally go full on geek out with that one. <laughs> But that would be kind of fun mashup. Have you foreshadowing Pat's uh, choice for later? <laughs> that might. Is it nice is it, voice? Is it Worf is the bodyguard and Wesley is the one that he's carrying on the poster? The boy. <laughs> the boy. The boy guard. There you go. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. We are very strange fellows. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. right. Okay, so we just guys. I think we just alienated our listener. We just. It's. We we yes. went from the bodyguard. We went from when the bodyguard. We went from Hugh, Whitley Houston, Whitney Houston to Whitley. Whitley. Yeah, Whitley Houston. Houston. <laughs> I don't know who that is, I'm, but I'm I'm stuck on Wesley Crusher being the one that's being rescued. So is 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 this the episode we weren't supposed to do the research before? Yes, this is. The, yeah, what what do they call it when they don't do the research? The <laughs> yeah yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Oh boy. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Whitney Houston happens to be her name. And uh, yes. lovely song and uh, originally recorded. I don't know. I don't remember if Dolly Parton was the original recording artist that did it, but uh, I believe so. Uh, was she the original? Okay. I know that she was there. There may have been some other people kind of in between, but she has the other most famous one. But this one, I think, obviously being the most famous. Um, I, I, I read a bit of trivia. Did you read the trivia about this with Dolly Parton? Yeah, go ahead. Or, I want to. Yeah, that she somehow granted the rights for the but then forgot about it and didn't process till she was driving in her car or something yeah. and she's it was the it was the most emotional incredible rendition i'd ever heard of the song i had to pull over to the side of the road because it was such a it was it was just kind of a cool it was kind of a cool little shout out thing so yeah. i thought that was pretty neat yeah i thought that was cool all right. Well, uh, do we have anything else before we get started? I, I mean, we will let people know we spoil freely, so just be warned if we start talking mm -hmm. about movies or other things. Then, as I've already talked about a Star Trek bodyguard mashup, yeah, right. that, yeah, <laughs> you you've been forewarned.
after the fact. Have you seen? I'm, I'm making fun of that famous poster of Kevin Costner carrying Whitney Houston's or Whitley Houston's character. Well, um, it's right. funny because he's not carrying Whitney Houston when they shot that. No, that was Whitley Houston. It's yeah, exactly. Her double. <laughs> Have you seen? There was another movie. I think Ryan Reynolds and Sam Jackson made a movie called The Hitman's yes. Bodyguard. Yes. Yes. And they made yeah. a parody poster <laughs> of that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I have not seen that movie, but now I kind of want to. I It's funny because I haven't either, but I think I've seen the sequel to that. Oh, they have a sequel oh. already? Yeah, it's like the hitman's bodyguard's wife or some silliness like oh, that. Oh, okay. I remember hearing about and that. And it was on It was on, or we watched it as, a, as something funny to watch. I don't know. But okay. it's not bad. I feel like they're just trying to mash up a bunch of different things. I feel like now they should have the astronaut's hitman's bodyguard's wife. Well, yeah. Wasn't that the astronaut's wife? Wasn't that a movie? Sure. Yeah. Or the time traveler's wife. The time traveler's astronaut's bodyguard. But when will then be now? Soon. Is what mm-hmm. I'm asking. And when is the dream collapsing? <laughs> but the top is it, still spinning. As long as it's still spinning, that's okay. Yep. It's fine. I think we should probably get into talking about the bodyguard before this dream collapses. Yeah. <laughs> and a worthy movie. I enjoyed this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was pretty good. It was fun. It was pretty good. Yeah. Very, very quickly, before we do get into that, I, I did want to mention 30podcast.com is our website. You can go over there. You can leave a rating, leave a voicemail, become a co-executive producer via Patreon, where we've got all kinds of great bonus episodes over there. So head on over there. Check that out. 30podcast.com. All right. Our movie this time around is The Bodyguard. Released on the 25th of November, 1992, Rated R, with a runtime of two hours and nine minutes. Directed by Mick Jackson, who did L.A. Story, Volcano, and Temple Grandin. Writer for this one was Lawrence Kasdan, who did Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, Force Awakens, Solo, Raiders of the Lost Ark, The Big, Big Chill, all kinds of stuff. And I believe, Bo, you might even be able to back me up on this one, I believe that we had a creative writing teacher in high school our freshman year who had gone to college with Lawrence Kasdan and had been in one of the classes with him. Do you recall that? I recall a teacher telling us there was a, this freshman year and it was our it was kind of the same time how we had the typing class that we had to go to as part yes. of our study hall, lunchtime. Yeah, so we had the typing class, but I also feel like there was a a teacher who was a creative writing teacher, and we had to go to that for a stretch of time, six weeks or something, too. And I vividly remember her saying, yeah, I actually went to school, went to college with this famous writer. I was in some classes with him. His name was Larry Kasdan. And I was, and at the time, I'm a little Star Wars nerd going, say what? Huh? <laughs> I do not remember that sentence, but I think okay. I remember the teacher, and okay. those that information would not surprise me. Okay, okay. I, I can't remember the teacher's name, but yes, I... Vaguely remember. I believe it was Sue Ulrich. That sounds right. But that sounds you know, I'm right. sure that was the teacher. I just okay. don't remember. I can't put it with the story. Yeah, How about yeah, that. Yeah. Okay. All right. I then had her sophomore year for American Lit. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. And still don't remember that story, which might show how my high school memory attracts. <laughs> But hey, what you going to do? That's all right. That's okay. Our producers on this one were Kevin Costner, Lawrence Kasdan, and Jim Wilson. Costner also produced Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Dances with Wolves. Kasdan also produced The Big Chill and Wyatt Earp. And Wilson also produced The Postman and Wyatt Earp. Music was done by Alan Silvestri, who did Avengers Endgame, Ready Player One, and Back to the Future. Cinematography by Andrew Dunn, who did Downton Abbey, A New Era, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, and Crazy Stupid Love. Editors were Don Camburn who did Romancing the Stone, Ghostbusters 2, and Richard A. Harris, who did Terminator 2 and Titanic. Budget for this one was $25 million. Box office was $411 million. It made a lot of money. I think it was 116 in the States, and then the rest of that was overseas. So it, it, made, it made some purse there. Uh, Flick Metrics gives it a 53% as its average, and CinemaScore couldn't find one on CinemaScore for this movie. Starring Kevin Costner as Frank Farmer. He was in The Untouchables, Man of Steel, and the TV series Yellowstone. Whitney Houston, not Whitley Houston, but Whitney Houston, who died in 2012, played Rachel Marin. She was in The Preacher's Wife, Waiting to Exhale, and Sparkle. Gary Kemp played Cy Specter. He was in The Craze and Killing Zoe. Bill Cobbs played Devaney. He was in Demolition Man and That Thing You Do. Ralph Waite, who died in 2014, played uh, Herb Farmer. He was in Cliffhanger and the TV series NCIS. Tomas Arana played Portman. He was in Gladiator and the Bourne Supremacy. Michelle Lamar Richards played Nikki. She was in Top Dog and the TV series Alien Nation. 
Mike Starr played Tony. He was in Dumb and Dumber and Miller's Crossing. Christopher Burt played Henry. He was in Crimson Tide and Wolf. And Devon Nixon played Fletcher. He was in Terminator 2. And uh, the current series, I think, is maybe on Amazon Prime, uh, Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty. I think that I think it's Amazon Prime, if I've got that right. For this one, best-selling pop diva Rachel Marin has a stalker whose obsession has risen to the level of disturbing threats. At the urging of her manager, Rachel hires former Secret Service agent Frank Farmer as her bodyguard. Initially resented and treated with disdain for his hard-nosed security procedures, Farmer soon becomes an integral part of Rachel's inner circle. As they spend more time together, client and protector become closer still. Frank Farmer to see Miss Marin. What? Alexander Graham Bell to see Miss Marin. Bill said he used to be with the Secret Service. I was two years with Carter, four with Reagan. Reagan got shot. Not on my ship. All my colors You don't look like a bodyguard. This is my disguise. <laughs> well, his timing's good. Henry, I've spent a lot of time guarding people all over the world, and I found one thing to be true. No matter how incompetent the assassins, no matter how much they miss their target, by there's one person who always gets hit. Who? The cocky black chauffeur. You afraid I might get picked off from my snazzy running suit? No, I'm afraid that I'm gonna have to jog with you. Someone was in my house? Wait a minute, someone was in my house? Everybody's afraid of something. That's how we know we care about things. When we're afraid we're losing. How about you, Frank Farmer out there on the edge? Rachel, I don't want to get confused about what I'm doing here. I'm not confused. You pay me to protect you, that's what I do. Then what is it? I'm afraid of not being there. So, Pat, someday when I'm your bodyguard, there's the line in the trailer there that is the one that has me the most worried. I'm I'm worried that... We'll start playing the music again. There we go. I'm worried that if I become your bodyguard someday that... You will say the line, you're afraid I might get picked off in my snazzy running suit, and I will have to say the line, no, I'm afraid I might have to jog with you. <laughs> there it is, man. Yes. We'd have fun together, man. It's it's always fun. Well, I, from a distance. <laughs> it, would be, it would be a slightly different singer. I would have to start in with the, from a distance. That's going to have to protect himself. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. You got him, man. And I can't catch up with the bullets. So that's that's the only line in the movie that kind of scares me. First impressions here. How does how does this movie make you feel? And when was the first time you saw this movie, Patrick? I this I maybe have seen it once, all the way through. This might be the second time. And if I haven't seen it before all the way through, then this is the 1.6th time. You know what I'm saying? Okay. First, con- first contact with this movie was when it came out, my parents went to see it. And I remember my mom talking an awful lot about this movie. She was really taken with it. And I think my dad would mention it too. Like there were a couple of scenes he'd talk about and everything. But uh, yeah, I remember my mom talking about it. And she, it was one of those that I was probably just like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'm ever going to get out to see it. And when it came out, that was right on the cusp of when I'd probably be going out to see our raid movies anyway so and i remember her kind of telling me the story telling some of the beats and how it all flowed together and everything she was really taken with the movie so so yeah yeah that was my first contact and i'd say this is probably the first time in recent memory that i that i've seen it all right this was the first time for me i had never seen this okay it it just sort of escaped me i think i was at the right age where I wasn't feeling like watching a chick flick when it came out. And then I just sort of never went back to it as far as how it made me feel. And right. I don't know. It was, it was, it was fun. Yeah. This was the first time I'd seen it. I mean, I knew, I knew of the movie. I mean, 
like I said, this is the first cassette single I ever purchased. So it's I knew a great of the, song. I knew of the song. Yeah, it's a great song, and I knew of the song, and I mean, played it over and over and over again. But in terms of the movie itself, Bo, I think I was probably on the same page with you. I was like, eh. I mean, okay, so it's the bodyguard. The bodyguard probably falls in love with the girl, and the and the and okay. And so I never was, I don't think I was ever interested enough to really pursue it more than that. And then I think just over the years, this, either the poster or the movie itself, I think gets parodied in other movies or in other ways. And so I think I probably just assumed, I'm like, what, based on the pop culture references that include this movie or include the poster from this movie or whatever, I think I probably know enough that I need to know that there's other movies on my watch list that I might go to before this. So eh, I'll, I'll just assume that I know as much as I need to know about it. So mm-hmm. yeah, this was my first time watching it this time. And I will say for me, um, it was fun. I mean, it was kind of, I don't know for me, this was kind of a meh movie. It was, I, I enjoyed parts of it and other parts that I was like, okay, it's a two hour movie, right? So a little over two hours. So, okay. Let's let me take some notes here while I'm watching this 2-hour movie. All right. So there were just there were some moments where things kind of drug a little bit or and there were a couple of times that it was like I'm a little confused. Didn't didn't we already have this situation or didn't we kind of cover some of this before or I don't know. There just it wasn't I, it wasn't it didn't knock my socks off. We'll put it that way. And I've got some thoughts on that. Not yeah. why your socks weren't knocked off, yeah. but I've got some I've got some thoughts on just kind of how the movie flowed and everything. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Why it didn't yeah. quite get me yeah. right away. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's, I, for me, it was kind of a, I mean, it, I didn't hate it. I didn't dislike it. I was just kind of indifferent towards it. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I've seen it now. I can I can mark that off my list of famous movies that I've now seen. So, but it, I, it wasn't one that I was like, oh man, I, I need to go watch this again. Or, oh, this is now one of my favorite Kevin Costner movies or anything like that. I was just kind of like, okay, I, I saw it. Yeah. I could see myself rewatching this one. Okay. You know what I'm saying? And I think, I think that's why I've, this has only been the first time I've seen it cover to cover. I think I've just, every time I turn it on, I kind of get like, Oh yeah, I'll watch a little bit more of it. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And yeah, it, it, it was, it, and I, I could see Tammy enjoying it too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that would be kind of like a, a good middle ground. If she says, Hey, let's watch this. And I say, Hey, let's watch Ash versus evil dead. We could settle on the bodyguard right in the middle. It, 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 yeah, I, I, I enjoyed watching it. It kept my attention. What in God's name is the bodyguard in the middle of between Ash versus evil dead and whatever your wife chooses. I don't know. I think she likes shag. Okay. You know, I'm just trying, I'm, I'm trying to visualize the Venn diagram here and I'm a little right. choices made in the mm-hmm. Canigallo household. I am totally going to do a Venn diagram of <laughs> Ash versus evil dead. Dirty. Dancing. I mean, I get that that is on the outskirts of what you would choose. I get that part. Right. Right. Tammy's side that I think we're intrigued with. Yeah. How yeah. far do you have to go this way? For the bodyguard to be in the middle, <laughs> like that, where I'm. There it is. What, what movie is Tammy picking that has a scene in the morgue? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> what right. What is going that's on? Right. Oh man, that's I often ask myself those questions. <laughs> no, not that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm in the. So, no, but it's it was no. I I inter- and and uh, I don't want to jump the gun, John. Do you have do you have do you have a, a flow? Do we? Is, am I breaking the flow? I, or are we just kind of free flowing? I, I always have a flow. It was a little something like this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I always, um, I always have a flow. All right, man. But I, hey, don't want that flow to stop. No, that's true. Then you got, I, especially as you get older. No, I we will very briefly get the, get the people caught up on some of the plot points Catching here. Them. But yeah, yeah, we can. We'll dive back in before we jump into the plot points. Though I do have a very quick question, and and this question I am asking on behalf of my lovely wife because I'm maybe beginning to believe that she's from an alternate timeline. We we had a Berenstain Bears moment when we were oh. watching this movie. Okay. She and and, and I, I could just tell the look on her face as the movie was ending. She said, wait, "Hold on, wait a minute, this isn't right." And I was like, wait, what's going on? And she's like, this whole scene where they're on, where they're at the airstrip and they're saying goodbye to each other. I said, yeah. Mm-hmm. She's like, I've seen this movie before. It's supposed to be nighttime and it's supposed to be raining. And I was like, really? 
I don't think I've seen this movie before, so I don't. She's like, yeah. What movie is somebody saying goodbye to somebody on an airstrip that looks exactly like this, and it's nighttime and it's raining? I thought it was the bodyguard. And I was like, I don't know. Are you from an alternate timeline where that happened and something changed? And it, so we've been trying to figure this out. I've been trying to Google movies with final scenes in airplanes at night with rain, and it's not. All I'm getting I, is airplay, airport scene in Rain Man is all I'm getting from my Google. Honestly, I think it's a, it's a trailer thing. It's because mm. the trailer is always them in the rain, yeah. and all the preview scenes are them in the rain. I think it all just gets conflated into uh, could be. that. What's, what's that? What's that effect? The things that happened but didn't really happen, and oh, everyone yeah, swears the, they the, happened. That's the, the Berenstein Bears thing with the Man- oh yeah 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 the yeah. Mandela effect. That's it. Thank yeah. you. Wasn't it? Wasn't it? Casablanca was in the rain. Yeah, but it wasn't the one she was remembering was not black and it's, white. I was yeah. going to say, yeah, I mean, that's huh. we've oh, believe me, we at lunch today, we were kind of going down a list of movies where the final scene is at an airport and people are saying goodbye. And yeah, John, why does this always happen to us? I, <laughs> so, yeah, so we've, we've done a little bit of research, can't find it. So I don't know if, if you guys let's crowdsource it. If anybody's listening here and they happen to know of yeah. a list of movies that where one of the final scenes is. In the rain, somebody saying goodbye to each other at an airfield. And if it happens to be Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston, then great. If not, maybe it's Kevin Costner and Whitley Houston. There you go. Maybe that's where we got it wrong. I think it might totally be a Mandela effect from okay. from the trailer, the trailer okay. and all the scenes that you see. Because there are a couple scenes of them in the rain. Yeah. And I think... Yep. Uh, I think it's a thing. Well, and, and there's isn't there that scene towards the end where it's just her face and it's kind of a soft focus. And there's sparkles in the background that could kind of look like rain. And yeah, mm-hmm. but she was really convinced that it was absolutely at night in the rain at the airfield. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll do some, I'll do some digging. But I don't know. Huh. I, I, having never seen the movie, I don't know. I'm not sure. Interesting. I will be of no, interesting of no help here. Well, we'll figure it out at some point. We'll we'll crowdsource it. All the people listening, all the people listening, all the ships at sea. If you got any ideas, help us. A lot of information out there. A lot lot of of info. A lot of people. A lot of good people that may be able to help out here. So, so okay. So that's that's my question. I just want to throw in there before I forget anything. So, basic plot of this movie is that Rachel Maron is is one of the most famous singers in the world, and she is kind of preparing to for for this whole Oscar thing that's coming up. That she was in a movie. And she has the opportunity to win an Oscar for her performance and is unaware that there has been a, a follower that has been leaving her some messages as well as other things. And that her house is not as safe as she might assume. And so one of her people happens to know a former Secret Service agent and decides to try to hire him as the bodyguard. And so Frank Farmer, played by Kevin Costner, is that former Secret Service agent. And he comes in to kind of just assess things, check it out. And that was actually one of my favorite scenes in the movie is him coming to the house for the first time and assessing the, like, this box is, is corroded. It's not even plugged in. It's, I could, I could give three different names and I can get all the way into the house without anybody checking any credentials or anything. And just him going through and kind of assessing the situation as he goes, I was like, all right, that's yeah. kind of cool. Like watching him do his work before he's even met the person. I'm like, oh, I, I see, I see what he's doing here. Like that's very clever. So, yeah, that was that was a cool aspect of the film. We've got uh, Rachel's existing bodyguard Tony, who is is basically like, yeah, no, I I let her do what she loves, and it's it's her life. She's got to live it. And Frank is like, uh, not if you want if you want her to live her life, then no, <laughs> come with me if you want yeah. to live. <laughs> yeah, no, Tony. Tony, you want to hear the most annoying sound of the world? It's you trying to explain how you're going to protect her. Yeah. Is is how that's going to work. So, in the meantime, he does get hired. There's there's some back and forth of whether or not they are going to let him in. And, and at first, he kind of walks away. He's like, oh, forget this. If you're not on board, then if, if I don't have control over this situation to be able to keep you safe, then I'm walking. I'm, I'm not doing this. And he starts to, to walk away. But they do, just when he thought he was out, they pulled him back in. And uh, they do eventually they hire him as the uh, security guard, as the bodyguard. And then he starts to make his changes to the house, of, of which Rachel is, is not super excited about a lot of these changes. But as the movie goes on, there are some instances in which 
she starts to get on board. So how'd you guys like the beginning of the movie? As it, everything kind of started off, you get introduced to the characters, kind of, how'd you like the beginning of it? I think it felt very dark at the beginning. Like the way they were introducing him, it was very somber and very, very slow. It actually made it me feel like we were going to see a darker side to him at some point. And we sort of do, but not really. Like I, I'm trying to rem- like in, in the line of fire, Clint Eastwood's character has some demons that he's wrestling with sort of felt we were going to dig more into Kevin Costner's demons than we did by the way he was introduced. He's got that scene where he's sitting in that apartment all by himself. And why? <laughs> like some of that stuff didn't quite do it for me. Yeah. And you got, you got, and I'm going to quote the greatest generation. You have the solitary brass instrument of, Totally. The solo brass instrument of, of solitude of, and what I got with the beats with that, I got like uh, Chinatown with Jack Nicholson. You yes. know, you got that, it's quasi bluesy trumpet and which is just, it's such a great sound. Am I biased? Of course. But I mean, it's, it's such a great sound and it just really sets that real distinct mood. And it's like former police officer, down on his luck or a private investigator sitting there questioning life's mysteries. I mean, it's, 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 it's really a a characteristic, like guy burned out on his job trying to figure things out. And it really was kind of like, it had me thinking like this film could have almost been set in any time period. Like all we needed was like a little bit of neon coming in through the rain, the windows with a little bit of rain. And that really was the mood that, that I that I had. I mean, and if, if it's like Canagella, what are you talking about? Just go back and listen to the the soundtrack to Chinatown, and you'll hear exactly what I'm talking about. It's just a solo trumpet, and uh, playing kind of like a little bit of a easy kind of bluesy kind of thing, and and it really uh, it really sets the mood. I was I was pretty I was pretty stoked with the opening of the movie. I dug it. I like that we're like it's almost like Taken, right? It just establishes that 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 Kevin Costner's a tough son of a gun, and he's keeping guys down on the ground. He's blasting away with guys trying to assassinate whoever his, his principal is that he's protecting. And, and I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I, yeah, I thought, I thought it was pretty cool. Like you said, I liked watching him bust a move. I liked seeing him go in and like, yeah, whatever, man, you just don't get it. You just don't get it. It's just kind of like, yeah, of course. Yeah. Of, of everybody in the scene right there, he doesn't get it. Of course. And, and that's what you're made to think of the audience. Cause he gets it right. So that's just kind of, that's kind of fun. And at some point he's going to prove, he's going to prove that he knows what he's talking about. Plus they gave him Steve McQueen's haircut, which is pretty outstanding too. Right. Which goes back to some of the trivia about how this movie was originally written for Steve McQueen. I read that, which is very exciting. What might've been. It's going to be Steve McQueen and Diana Ross because Lawrence Kasdan was writing this. I want to say like in the mid seventies, and he, yeah. was, he was just trying to get, we, we always hear those stories about somebody trying to get their breakthrough screenplay, just so they can write that first one and get noticed and whatever. And so it s- sounded like this was one of those early attempts for him to just get noticed by somebody in the mid-70s and was writing it for Steve McQueen and Diana Ross. And then I think it, it changed a little bit, and Diana Ross was then dating, was it Ryan O'Neill? And then things kind of fell apart when they were not dating anymore. And so I think then it kind of got stuck in limbo until later on, Kevin Costner spotted it and went for it there. But I think that kind of, I think Kevin Costner said he, he really tried to kind of base his character off of Steve McQueen. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So I, I, I really like the scenes where Clifford goes to talk to Ricky and asks him to be his bodyguard so that the school bullies can stop. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Those are my notes for my bodyguard from 1980. I, I got confused there for a second. Why, Bo? Whatever is the matter? <laughs> Nothing. Okay. I don't know what you speak of. Okay. See, it's gotten to the point where Bo is getting getting roasted, even when. Uh, I'm just saying, man, this is a rough bunch. And see it's that. <laughs> that was just that was actually that was not even directed at Bo. That was just a. Of course not. No, no. I'm, I'm I'm being honest here. That was just a that was just a bit for me to like play make a play on the whole series of movies that are titled Bodyguard. Right. Yeah. Of course. Which, has a very uh, story history if you go all the way back to Yo Jimbo and it does yeah which oh, which, that's which they watch in this movie 
They do. They do a little meta bodyguard in the bodyguard. Bodyguard in the bodyguard, and the, and the top is still spinning. Oh, without a doubt, <laughs> my friend. Yeah. But I'm uh, just. But several just times saying, the dream I, collapses. I'm just saying, how cool is that? Like, we're going out on a date. We're going to go see you, Yo Jimbo. Well, so, I'm so just that's, like, that's my follow-up that's, question. My follow-up question awesome. to that is, is Yo Jimbo a first date movie? Yes, it is now. Okay, all right. And and Kevin Costner made it so. So I'm just like, man, right. I'm. That's it. Not that I'm ever going to be out on a first date again ever. Right. But I'm right. just saying, okay. potentially. Okay. Yeah, yeah I just God help us. I just I just saw it happen. It's it's definitely a first date movie now. That's outstanding. I mean, it it wasn't our first date, but our first movie we went to go see was Steve Martin and Sergeant Bilko, and that might have been stretching it. Oh, buddy. <laughs> mm. See? So. That's when you knew she was a keeper. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's right. <laughs> you, was, wanted, that's right. you said okay to this? It was, right on. It was that and all the times I would constantly play my, my best of Saturday Night Live from 1975 to 1980 VHS tapes. That, yeah. Well, but that was classic good Saturday Night Live. It was. I know. But, I mean, how many times can you show a, a young, impressionable lady the super Bassomatic 76 skit along with the Julia Child skit and still having her coming back. And I, apparently. Well, Julia Child, I mean, that's, that's, that's I mean, that's amazing. good stuff, but yeah, it's. <laughs> Come on. That's, that's oh, amazing. Man. Super Bassomatic 76. Wow. That's terrific bass. <laughs> it comes, oh, it comes fresh, delicious, and ready to pour. Mm, that's terrific bass. All right, so well back, back to the actual the, back to the actual bodyguard. Yes. I approve of the movie and I love or okay. the opening of the movie and I just love when Tony gets all worked up and you know decides to jump him in the kitchen and it's basically just Kevin Costner walking around and throwing the thing and then and really like the way they do it I mean it all works. I mean and I've said this before like now you'd have like every actor like taking eight months of intensive martial arts training to get ready for this role and stuff. But I mean, the way it all, it all flowed. And then at the very end, Kevin Costner just says, okay, I don't ever want to have this talk again. I'm just like, that is classic. That is a great, that is a, that is a great scene. Mm-hmm. And then Tony becomes his buddy. I mean, by yeah. the end, he's just like, well, uh, what do you, what do you think we should do? And he's like, the other guy's like, you're in charge now. And he's just like, He's looking. He's like, you're, you know, yeah, whatever. I, I, I like that. Okay, I don't ever want to have this talk again. <laughs> I love that. That is just classic. Well, I like that the whole knife thing is a is a callback to when he was just maybe a little bit drunk and trying to show off his knife skills at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And he's like, he throws the first one and it like goes way off to the side. I think he throws the second one and it goes backwards. He's like, you might not want to stand there either. And and finally, with like the last three, he does get it down. But yeah, no. Yeah. <clears throat> oh. oh man, fun stuff. But yes, he he and Tony do eventually, you know, come to terms and they they work together to make sure that she's protected. So I think the first time she realizes that she really does need some protection is when her producer, who's kind of a, a not so great guy, Cy is his name, Cy Specter. He kind of pressures her to go perform at this nightclub. Was it called the Mayan? I think it was what it was called. Something, Something like I that. I don't remember what it was called. Um, and so she decides to go there, and and security is impossible here because there's just people all over the place. Um, she goes to do this performance. He's trying to. He Frank is is off to the side trying to make sure that she's protected. And people, the audience keeps coming up on the stage, and she's you know putting her hand up, telling him, "Don't come on this stage. Back off." And then eventually, it just becomes this mob scene, and she ends up getting. She ends up crowd surfing and and not in the pleasant way, and they're kind of taking her away, and and she gets her you know headpiece ripped off and and all that other stuff, and she's panicking, and he's coming through and punching everybody to get through the crowd to rescue her, and so this is kind of we get the famous scene of him picking her up and carrying her out of this club, and I think that's the first time she really realizes that, whoa, maybe I do need a little bit more protecting than I thought I did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was that was before that kitchen scene because Tony, poor Tony, is like running out the front. He's like, where's the limo? And it's out back. And I, Tony, I guess, probably has to walk home. There was no Uber at this point. Yeah, so. he was yeah. Uh, he was ditched. So that's yep. why that's why Tony shows up angry in the kitchen and ready to kill somebody because he probably had to walk home from wherever this club was. Well, well, he showed up angry in the kitchen. 
Yeah. He, he was not, he did not show up ready to kill anybody. No. <laughs> he just didn't realize it, but yeah. he wasn't ready to do any of that stuff. No, no, no. Well, in the words of Admiral Kirk, that's what you get from missing staff meetings. So we do get some scenes then kind of after this point. She starts to admit that probably she does need a little bit more protection. She starts to talk to him as he's starting to kind of lock things down for her. She kind of slides in there with, well, if I can't go anywhere and if I can't see anyone, like what if I go on a date and I go on a date and the the date progresses back to so-and-so's house. Are you coming in the house with me? Like, how does this all work? And, And then she kind of makes the comment. She's like, well, so let's just make this cleaner. Why don't you take me out on a date? It's like, that's, that was not really all that smooth, Rachel, but okay. <laughs> like real subtle, real subtle. Well, mm-hmm. was it, but was it supposed to be smooth or was it really, was she challenging him at that point? I think she's like, challenging him. Yeah. I don't know if she expected him to say yes. Oh, I don't think all. she did either. Yeah. I think she called it. I think he called her bluff. Yeah. Yeah. So then we get the scenes, we kind of get the scenes of them going out on their date and going to see the movie and, and all this other stuff. And one little trivia tidbit, because his uh, the actor that plays his dad at the towards the end of the movie also played the dad of a Special Agent Gibbs on NCIS. And also the basement scene where they're at Frank's house and they're down in the basement, that was also the basement of Special Agent Gibbs' house in the NCIS TV series where he kept hmm. like building and rebuilding his boat every season. I don't know how many times he rebuilt that boat, but it was pretty constant. At least twice. At least twice. But I don't see. I have no concept of how long it takes to build a wooden boat. You see, I I don't either. I'm not even good with a Lego set, so I'm not quite sure. Right. So you know, build an actual boat from scratch. I don't know. And if I were to build such a craft, I would not suggest anyone use it. Right. No. Because well, I I think mine would look like the first attempt from Castaway. There you go. <laughs> it's it's, it's going to be Wilson. a little bit like that. It's, it's not seaworthy. Yeah. No, no, it, w- it will spring a leak. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even have to debate that. It will. No, yeah. Yeah. So, question for you guys. I, I kind of had I, a little, like, inside joke in my own head. I was like, oh, we're making money here. When they go down into the basement and she's got, like, the, the samurai sword and he, like, lays the scarf down on it. I'm like, ooh, scarves. Are we buying mm-hmm. things? I was like, greatest generation. It was like, oh, we just yeah. we cut the scarf in half. Now we have two scarves. Mm-hmm. Then we can, we can make more scarves. Like, that's a sharp sword. Yeah. Yeah. That's super sharp. Like, to just be able to drop it and just have it slice it in half. I'm like, yikes. Yeah, those things are pretty sharp. Maybe put that thing back on the wall. Yeah. Because knowing me, if I pull out a sword, I'm going to start swinging it around, and I'm probably going to kill myself or somebody with it. Well, and that's kind of, you maybe want to let her know that right at the beginning. That's kind of burying the lead. After she has the sword at his chest there and everything like that, and then he drops it. Yeah, you got to. Yeah. Yeah, maybe be a little bit more forthcoming with that. I mean, isn't, wasn't it Yojimbo where you've got all the, like, severed limbs in the movie? So, I mean, maybe mm-hmm. that was the, maybe that was the, for people who knew, those were in the know, maybe were like, oh, wow, is she going to cut her hand off? There you go. And that that would have been a dark turn. That would have been a dark that, turn. Like she cuts her damn. own hand off with a really sharp samurai sword and her dog comes walking through town with it. I'm like, whoa, that's a that's a deep callback. Yeah, definitely. But this was, I mean, they I think they said a couple of times that as they did more rewrites on this script, it got darker. And then eventually hmm. the director was like, nah, let's take some of that back a bit. Let's go back to Lawrence Kasdan's original script here because... That's taking a dark turn. So, I mean, you can kind of see moments where this movie could have gone darker. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And did not. Yeah. So, we get to the point where they end up, after a couple of other instances, we do get introduced to a another character, kind of another bodyguard named Portman, and he's kind of a sleazy dude. Uh, this is when they're in Miami. Kind of. I mean, very much a sleazy dude. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. How, how many times did she have to say no? Uh, Baker's dozen, I believe. <laughs> I was yeah. going to say too darn many. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so we kind of get introduced to, to his character in Miami. And she also kind of discovers at that point that maybe maybe Frank's not so bad when the alternatives are like this. But eventually we get to the point where she knows that she's 
in danger and she knows this is this is just not going to work the way things are right now so they need to escape like they need to get out they need to go somewhere remote so he takes them to his father's cabin out in the woods really remote area and we get some we get some instances of some family bonding time and and stuff like this we learn in this part too that the the killer the stalker may know exactly where they are and through a series of finding some tracks that maybe don't don't look like they fit so well we then get to the scene where Fletcher has gone out on the boat and Frank something kind of clicks with Frank and he's like there's a bomb on that boat and so he goes running tackles the kid off of the boat. I thought that was a great part too. He goes running in a running tackle the kid off the boat and everybody's yelling at him cuz they're like what are you doing? That's a kid. What are you doing tackling mm-hmm. a kid? Are you out of your mind? And then of course the boat explodes and everybody knows sure. exactly what's going on. And uh, that's that's where things start to take the downhill turn in the cabin scenes because then we later find out that the sister Nikki who was jealous of Rachel has started this whole thing in the first place. So shock and surprise. I having never seen this movie, there was a moment at the beginning of the movie where she was talking about how she, she kind of thought as, as a kid that she had everything. And and then all of a sudden it turned around and her sister then has everything. And she's not the famous one anymore. I'm like, that's kind of what it says in those like ransom note letters she keeps getting. So I I made a little connection there, but then I kind of forgot about it. And then you get to this Put, part, and I'm like, oh, yes. Now I see how that fits now, together. Put two I and see. two together, get four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Carry the one. The, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wait. There's no one there. I say, if you're carrying a one, you've got to show your work. It was my understanding that there would be no math. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. So the boat goes kablamo, and then they got to get out of town. And then Nikki goes kablamo. Like the, the, yeah. the person gets in the house and she goes kablamo and then they have to have a funeral for her and just everything is all kind of falling apart. And then we get everybody comes back home and it's the Oscars. So, yes, hey, after your sister is murdered by a stalker, let's go to a really public place and be right out there where somebody can get yeah. to you. I guess you could make the argument that you have already been attacked when you're in private. What's the difference? But, but but freaking out at Frank and saying, you made me this paranoid. Well, no, the bomb going off in the boat that your son was riding in, uh, yeah. your sister's selling you out and then being killed by an, an assailant. I, I think that would make you paranoid. It's, it's really nothing I've done. I can't claim credit. Exactly. Like, I'm cool and all, mm-hmm. but. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, did we yeah. do we just imagine the exploding boat that almost killed your son or No, we Fake all saw news. that. Okay. Fake news. Yeah. yeah. And I know yeah. yeah. And I know you're you're going through the show. I don't want to take it off too much on a tangent. No, do it. But that's but that's what I felt in watching this. First of all that flick metrics or cinema score or whatever the heck scoring we use. Yeah, cinema toast crunch. Per, yeah, the cinnamon toast crunch. The thing you read on Tic Tac Toe, yeah. it it seemed low, and then I yeah. looked, and this movie was nominated for some Oscars and the whole thing. And like I said, I mean, my mom typically did not go out to see bad movies and then rave about them. You know what I'm saying? Like, so a lot of people seem to like this. And as I was watching it, I'm like, man, what's what feels a little off for me? And it hit me that there were so many like, this is the movie climax, but we mm-hmm. this is only the. Yeah. First 25 minutes of the movie. Right. We have another climax. We're only a quarter of the way. Th- you know what I'm saying? And and it hit me all the things that I remembered either being told or seeing when I'd watched bits and pieces of it as being the big climax happened early on. And that's kind of what I think it was. There was. There I mean, was Pat, sometimes big, that happens in a love story. It can happen. And it was like uh, there was no great big build in like the final showdown like i'll compare it to the movie taken right or, or or you know what another one i thought of was roadhouse the guy coming in that knows what he's talking about it's my way okay. or the highway yeah there was a series of okay we build to this point and now there's a victory okay we build to this point and okay there's a loss i mean but there was one big overarching kind of thing in this one i was kind of left with okay what's the main story is it is it the roadhouse deal where he moves in and tries to like square away everybody with the the bodyguard thing or is it the he's protecting her but then he's falling in love with her mm-hmm. and that was kind of what my mom kind of represented it as you know when when she would tell me about it okay or is it him 
kind of to take the samurai thing going, like, is he kind of like a Ronin? Like he was on the president's detail. The president was shot. He wasn't there. That's a big mental thing for him that he wasn't there. So then that becomes the resolution. Okay. Is it, are we making a commentary on show business? And like, there's these nut jobs following her along. And there were two, right? They kind of quote Top Gun when Maverick's flying in the the thing there. And suddenly the other MIG pops up. Oh, there's two of them. Like, that's kind of what hit here is like, okay, well, we got the, it was the sister was behind it at, at the whole thing. All of a sudden the phone rings. Okay, well, we caught the guy. What do you mean we caught the guy? The guy just shot at me. No, that's a different guy. And then it's like, okay, now there's two guys floating around. So is this, like, I really wasn't sure what the movie really was focusing on. But then as I got thinking about it, they kind of focused on each one, right? Like in the first 25 to 30 minutes, you have him coming in. No one believes him. The guy knows what he's talking about. Everyone wants to argue. And then you have that. She goes to the club. He has to save her. Okay, there's the resolution to that. Now we're on to the next thing. He's falling in love with her. But is that appropriate? She's falling in love with him. But is she kind of like kind of trying to lead him on? Like, okay, it's the it's the the romance piece. Okay, but then we kind of get the resolution to that. He breaks up with her. And it's like, I I can't protect you if I'm doing this. Okay. Then they move on to the next thing. All right. Now he's going back and he's taking her to his old house and he's reliving his past. This is who made him who he was. Okay. And then there's a resolution for that. He wasn't there to protect the president. He was almost not there to protect the kid, but he came flying in at the last second. And and it goes on that way. And it occurred to me like, and and none of this was bad. That was all a very little compelling little vignettes but it would almost work better as kind of like an episodic television series where each week tune in and the bodyguard will face off another thing. And sometimes it's working his personal demons. Sometimes it's, do you guys get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I mean, by, by the time they got to the Oscars, there had been so many climax resolutions. It, 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 it was kind of like, okay, well now he's dealing with this assassin. You know what I'm saying? And then, like I said, some of the stuff feels a little out of place because she's like, you made me so paranoid. Well, this is after the attempt on her kid, her sister being involved, her sister being shot. Whatever the time made- frame is for this story, whether it's like a few months or a year or whatever it is, yeah, you've almost died three times. Now, whatever that yes. time frame is, I, I think yes. at this point, that's not paranoia. That's, that's healthy reality. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and like that scene could have gone at the end of the little first act, the first little vignette with when he takes her from the club, we fo- and there's been people in my house, what? And then that could have been the climax for that. And then whoop, that title, it's all wrapped up nice, neat and tidy. Then move on and have the little vignette about him falling in love. And boy, that's not really appropriate. And he can't protect her if, and he's getting distracted and okay. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah. Then we wrap that one up now. Now, I don't know if you could make a movie like that, but I mean, it, you could, you, you, you can could make a story it's gonna, it's like gonna that. Take a, it's going to take a better writer than me, but yeah, you could. Yeah. So either that or just decide that all these things are kind of be going on, but the big story is going to be. And, that, and, and I don't say that to say Lawrence Kasdan is not a great writer because he is a great writer. I think to your point, it's just it. some of it feels a little disjointed. And I don't know if that has to do with any rewrites they did. I don't know. I don't know, but yeah, it's, it, it feels a little, it feels like different acts of the movie kind of have selective memory about the act before. Yeah. And, and like I said, I enjoyed it. I, I, yeah. I was sucked into the plot. I liked it. Yeah. I liked the characters. I thought Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston had good chemistry. Yeah. I enjoyed the, I enjoyed the movie, but that was the one piece that was just kind of, it, it seemed to ebb and flow a lot as opposed to just, here's the final climax. We're going to build to this. Well, in here, I'm saying the final climax. I mean, like, because there were so many throughout. Well, and then we get to the, we get to kind of one of the final scenes here. We get to the Oscars. It's the big night. It's, it's time for her to possibly go get her award. And, and she's going to be presenting an award as well. So we've got Frank is trying to check things out. We've got Toby from the West Wing is trying to like get everybody arranged and get them in the right place. And what we end up having is 
we end up having her going up on the stage, and, and she she ends up kind of hallucinating that when she opens up the envelope for the one that she's announcing, that it has one of those notes in it, and that's where she kind of screams about how he made her paranoid. And then eventually it comes to, then she's like, you know what, forget it. He made me paranoid. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm just going to go out. I'm going to do my thing, and, and when I win my award, I'm going to go up and accept it. And when that happens, that's when Frank starts to notice that Portman is there. Something doesn't line up with him being there. And then he sees him in the crowd carrying a camera that magically has a laser sight on it because all cameras do. And why not? Why not? That'd be great. And so he, he spots him with the camera, realizes that the camera itself is some kind of a gun for him to be able to use to kill Rachel. And as he's but he's stuck there on the side, he can't come out and do anything. And all of a sudden, up on the stage comes running Will Smith. Oh, here it comes. Here it comes. This was so timely. Like, having watched this movie and have this final scene be chaos at the Academy Awards... And then I didn't watch the Academy Awards the other night, but I was, I happened to have my phone next to me and just, and Twitter started just beeping all over the place with like craziness at the Academy Awards. I'm like, all right, well, it's usually kind of a boring show. So let's look and see what happened. Whoa. That's what happened. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. It was very timely. That was unexpected. It was unexpected. So I, I think, well, here's, here's my short brief comment about that. I, I think. Chris Rock could have told some different jokes, but I think Chris Rock could have also benefited from a bodyguard. Indeed. He needed somebody to take the slap for him. So, yeah. So, so that may be bodyguard too, electric boogaloo, but who knows? It's yeah. electric boogie, woogie, woogie. <laughs> Although he, he seemed to hang in there pretty good after it. I mean, he kind of like kept the ball rolling. He did. Yeah. So it didn't really respond too much. So, yeah, so either the slap wasn't that good, right? Or Chris Rock's tougher than he looks. He's tougher than we think he is. Yeah. So, so we get Portman gets taken down and gets shot by Frank. Frank goes down, shot in the shoulder, and Rachel is Rachel well, sh- screaming, "That's my bodyguard! That's my bodyguard!" And and then we kind of like from there, everything fades out, and Frank could have died, but did, he's not dead. Did no one dies in movies? Did we establish why that guy was trying to kill her? Was he the hired hitman? He, See, yeah, that's was, another thing that could have been. Exp- and that's where it got confusing. Like once they introduced the idea of the hitman and the letter writer are not the same person. Like that's where it kind of two roads diverged in a wood. And I took the one less understood by, and I got real confused about what was going on with the antagonists in this movie. So. Yeah. And that's just, again, could have used some clarity there. Right. Yeah. And it's, it, and it's like, again, it was the short little vignette uh, this week on the bodyguard. He meets up with a former guy, a, a former colleague yeah. that's gone to the dark side or whatever. And then do you get what I'm saying? If some of that is the editing problems I've read, they had, uh, it could be. Cause they, it sounds like the first screener didn't go well and they weren't, the audiences weren't too pleased with some things. And I feel like, I wonder if that's some of this disjointed stuff that we all noticed. They were splicing things together in a different order to make things look a certain way or. Could be, that would make sense. Yeah. Well, I'm telling you after watching this, the Snyder cut of the, the, the justice league, I mean, it's kind of like, okay, I'll, I'm, I'm a believer now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes a difference. It is crazy when you think about it, how much you can do in editing. Well, that's mm-hmm. why that's why I would I mean, not that I'd necessarily want to see it, but I'd be curious to see if you could go like alternate timeline stuff. I'd be curious to see what the edit of Star Wars looks like without Marsha Lucas. Mm, there you go. Because everything I mean, we've talked about this before. Everything we hear is she practically saved that movie in the editing. Right. So I'd I'd kind of be curious to see what it looked like without her. Well, seeing the prequels, I think we have a Well, yeah. Blueprint. Yeah. But Uncle Owen, I want to apply for farm subsidies. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Call the Trade Federation. I'm going to petition the legislature to. (sighs) Oh, boy. Yep. Space Farmer goes to Coruscant. It's like Mr. Smith goes to Coruscant. It says Mr. Skywalker goes to Coruscant. There you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
But anyway, that would be a fun movie. I'd watch. Mm-hmm. So the movie ends in, in broad daylight, not in the rain and not at nighttime, which I don't know, mm-hmm. alternate reality kind of thing. And it ends with us seeing that Frank has moved on, that there is, well, there's a new bodyguard for Rachel now. Uh, Frank has moved on. He's now guarding a, a senator, I think it was, or Senator Amidala. And that's kind of the, the movie kind of fades out from there, that he has moved on and he's doing a different job and uh, never the twain shall meet again. I don't get why. Like they're it, like, do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, they could still have a relationship. He's protecting some somebody else. She's got someone else protecting her. It's all good to go now. Yeah, I don't know. That's the piece of those things that I just never get. Yeah. I never understand. Well, and that's why. I mean, some of the, and I've heard people talk about like, oh, the chemistry between Whitney Houston and and Kevin Costner is just so amazing in this movie. And that was one of the things that I didn't really feel. I was like, oh, really? Really? There's chemistry here? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, she, she spends See, most well, of the movie like being angry at him. And I mean, there were a few scenes here or there where I, I got some of it, but I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't see this being a, so I actually didn't have a problem with that at the end of the movie. Cause I'm like, yeah, I don't see this being a lasting relationship kind of a thing. And like, I think she's intrigued by him, but I don't think there's anything there that says, oh, we're, we're in it for the long haul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Got it. All right. I, do we have do we have any other comments we want to make about this one before we jump into our three questions? I got nothing, man. All right. I I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, it's a fun movie. Like I said, I, it kind of I was kind of a little indifferent towards it, but it doesn't mean it was a bad movie. It's it's not in my favorite movies list. It's probably not one I'm necessarily going to go back to, but I have I've checked it off my watch list now. Yeah, there it is. The one little trivia thing that I thought was kind of fun, especially because our buddies over at the Shirley uh, Shirley Can't Be Serious podcast did their Godfather episodes, that Rachel's Mansion is the same one that has the uh, horse head in the bed scene. Yes. Yep. That's, yes. I want to make sure I I fit that one in there because I thought that was kind of fun. Yeah, that is is pretty cool. Yeah, it it looked a little run down, I got to be honest with you. Well, that's like 20 years later. I guess. I guess she's not. Well, I mean, clearly with the security and everything else, I feel like if, if the mob guys were still living there, that would be very much taken care of and security would be better. But now that, mm-hmm. you know, she's living there, she's got this whole lax idea about security and it's just, yeah. Right. It's not good. It's not good. All right. I think it's time for three questions. Are we ready for three questions? We are ready. Yes. Let's do three questions. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, three questions. Question number one, which celebrity would you want as your bodyguard? Dwayne The Rock Johnson. We're going to have a daily double, my friend. (laughs) Oh, well... He was on my he was on my short list. It could have been a triple or okay. a, th- a three. Okay, we're not careful. going there. Uh, <laughs> careful, careful. Back up from the. I have no, a, I'm gonna, hold on. I, I have a I have a drop for that. Hold on. I, I just oh. added. <laughs> wait, I just, wait, what? Wait, wait, what? What do you have? Time out. I just wait added something here. Hold on, hold on. What? What? Oh, jeez. Uh, and, no, okay. Wrong, wrong music. I, I, however, as much fun as that, as much fun as that would be, I'm going to go, Bruce, I'm going to say Bruce Lee. Oh, nice. Nice call. Yeah, I'd say Bruce Lee. We were kind of talking this through here at home, and uh, my wife had some good ideas. I, I thought of, Dwayne the Rock Johnson as well. That was probably mm-hmm. my choice because I'm thinking like, all right, so I've got this bodyguard. This bodyguard, we're going to be together a lot. So this person's going to be around a lot. 
somebody that you know you could have a conversation with like you wouldn't mm-hmm. mind spending time around because they seem like a nice person and you could talk to them. So that's kind of why I went with the rock. I was like, first of all, he's, he's tough. He's huge. Nobody's messing with me, especially if I'm standing next to the rock, people are going to see the difference between, you know, John and the rock and the pebble and the rock. And, uh, and he just, he seems like a nice guy and it seems like you have fun, have fun conversations with him. The other one that my wife mentioned who actually fell into one of the alternate choices for question two, that's coming up in a minute. was also Hugh Jackman. Oh yeah, I could see he seems like a he seems like a really nice guy, and sure. you could have some really good good conversations with him if you're spending a lot of time with him. My wife's choice was some of the ones either where he's a little bit younger or a little bit more in his physical prime, not the ones where he's for the part he's kind of let himself go a little bit. But her choice was Vincent D'Onofrio because he can be kind of an intimidating kind of guy. All right, so. certainly intimidating and creepy. Yes, we do, especially oh, yeah. uh, especially if you get him with the uh, some of the episodes he was in and uh, some of the later. Marvel shows. Or his Edgar suit from or, Men in Black. There's that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or The Cell. That one was creepy. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. All right. Question number two. Who's your favorite singer turned actor or vice versa? Oh, this one's easy. See, that's what oh, I said. Already. That's what I said, and then my wife just kind of looked at me for my top choice, but that's okay. Oh, Frank Sinatra. Oh, there you go. That's Nicely done. And yours, John? Well, see, I have some backup choices here. My top choice, obviously, is going to be David Bowie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I do, I mean, I obviously love him as a singer, and I really enjoy some of the weird and wacky movie parts that he decided to choose. Mm-hmm. So I, that's my top choice. Sharon's top choice was actually Cher. There you go. So... And having done a few of her movies on here, we've done Mermaids, we've done Moon. She's she's always she's always been really good in those. Mm-hmm. All right, Bo, mm-hmm. what's yours? So I had a couple too. I was thinking Steve Martin. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's probably. Yeah. I also thought about LL Cool J. Yes. Mm-hmm. Those were my. Those are the ones I came up with. Nice. Good choices. Good choices. Knowing that he is also in musical theater, I, I did drop Hugh Jackman into this one, sure, too. Sure, totally. That was, it was, was funny because I was blanking on his name earlier. Sharon was like, what about Wolverine? And I was like, yes, that would be great. Now, if I could remember what his name is. And I just had a brain fart moment. <laughs> and, she, and she's like, well, just write down Wolverine because I don't know his name either. And I'm like, no, 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 just give me, give me a second. Hugh Jackman. There we go. Okay, good. Got it. The other one that we both kind of agreed on, and I decided to lump them both together because they are amazing in the in the TV show they were in recently. We also said Tim McGraw and Faith Hill. Sure. Oh yeah. So if you have not watched the, I don't. If you guys, you haven't watched Yellowstone or the 1883 spinoff show they did. Have you watched any of those? I've seen Yellowstone and I've seen the first episode of 1883, but no more than that. Okay, they are they are very good in 1883. I mean, them cool. coupled with Sam Elliott in that show, it's just, it's a lot of fun. That's very cool. All right, and finally, question number three. If you could go see any Akira Kurosawa movie on the big screen, which would it be? Other than just saying any Kurosawa film, I'm I guess I'd go... pick one, yeah. Yeah, I guess I'd go The Seven Samurai. Like, I I don't know if that's necessarily his most famous or most well but it's the one I know... And so if I had to pick one, I guess that's what I'd pick. Uh, well, once Although, again, once again, we're going to have a daily double here because that's my pick. There it is. Well, what about you? What do you got? Which Kurosawa? Uh, Hidden Fortress. Oh, yeah. Or Seven Samurai. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there know. it is. That was kind of like I had a whole – I know I've talked about the little video store I used to go to in college. It was called That's Entertainment. And they just had tons and tons of VHS tapes and a massive foreign film section. And so there were weekends if I wasn't coming home for the weekend and I was still down in Champaign-Urbana, I would just be like, you know what? I have $5 in my pocket, which at that point in time could probably rent me 10 movies for the weekend. Mm -hmm. So let me go, and especially if it was one at like, I don't know if it was like Thursdays or Fridays were the foreign film days where it was like 25 cents per movie or 50 cents per something ridiculous right right uh, i remember i would go and i think i rented as many kurosawa films as i could find one weekend and just watch sure watched them back to back i mean i was hidden fortress seven samurai jim i mean i was just like nonstop that whole weekend i'm like 
this is a good weekend. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty pretty cool stuff. But I would love to see Seven Samurai on the big screen. I would. Oh, I, yeah. I have not seen any Kurosawa movies on a big screen, only on my TV. So I would love to see that one on on a much much bigger screen. Well, I'll have to start finding out where it's playing. I've got it. Well, you know what? I've got a little projector here, and I actually bought myself a screen. So at some point, I might just throw it up there and fancy do have it. A little, have a little do it. Night. Do it. Oh. All right. That's going to do it for this episode, guys. Yeah, man. So as long as we as long as we go from here and we'll keep each other safe and I I would dive in front of a bullet for maybe I would dive in front of a bullet for you guys. I mean, I Let's would just I would, say we'll the, keep each other out of situations where bullets are an issue. Thank you. That's yes. much better. I mean, I would at the very least push you out of the way so that you wouldn't get shot by the bullet. I don't know that I would take the bullet for you. I feel like I'd come up with a better alternative. Neil, what I'm telling you is that when it comes time, you won't have to dodge you won't the have bullets. To dodge the bullets, or as long as I can find a cast iron oven door. There it is. As long as I have one of those, I'll dive in front of anything. That's fine. <laughs> That's right, man. All right, gents, you can find gents and everyone else out there. Uh, you can find the rest of our episodes at 30podcast.com. We are on the different social medias at 30podcast. There are, we have a lot of episodes out there. If you're looking for something to listen to and you've not listened to our show before, we have over 400 episodes that are available for your listening pleasure. So go ahead over there and check those out. I'm sure we've got something you're going to enjoy. I've actually started to go back from time to time and listen to some of our old ones, just randomly pick one and listen to them. And it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to kind of hear from us and my weird opinions from like five years ago. And I'm like, oh, I said that about that movie. <laughs> okay. So it's been kind of fun to go back and listen to what I said because oftentimes I forget what I said 48 hours later. But such is life. Our next episode's coming up in the month of April. So this one finishes off the month of March for us. So month of April, we have our Be All You Can Be month with Patriot Games, Under Siege, A Few Good Men, Universal Soldier. Our Patreon episode for that one, Patreon exclusive, is High Noon from 1952. Then in May, we've got our animation and musicals. We're Singing in the Rain is our Patreon for that one from 1952. And then we've got Cool World, Newsies, Aladdin, and Noises Off. And then in June, we've got The Man Show. Every movie has the word man in it. We've got The Distinguished Gentleman, Encino Man, Memoirs of an Invisible Man, Lawnmower Man, and Candyman. Those are all that month. And I kind of feel, I hesitate slightly to even mention that our Patreon that month is The Godfather from 1972 because the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast guys just did an excellent job of comparing Godfather, Godfather 2, and Goodfellas. So we will try our best to do justice. Basically, I'm going to say they did a lot of research for us. Yeah, there you go. Excellent. Because I'm, sure I'm not sure how we can do it better. It was a most epic episode it was. that they came out. Well, a couple so. episodes that they came out. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to those guys, go check it out. And then you can come back and... If you're one of our Patreon co-executive producers, you can check out our Godfather as well. There it is. All right, gents. Uh, thank you so much, as always, Bo, Pat. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Come on back here next time. We're going to start off our Be All You Can Be month with Patriot Games. So until next time, everybody, be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies, and we'll see you back here next week. Bye.